You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Randy. And this is Jasper. We watched two movies. And they were pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Yes, so we watched two movies. We are going to discuss those movies, and then we're going to pitch our ideas on how those two movies can be combined, can be joined together, come together in unholy matrimony. In one cinematic universe. Oh, Mm. nice. You went with the matrimony, I had to go. Go bury with it? You got to go bury. Hey, there's two movies, two nerds. There are two movies, but there can be only one. So, okay, let's get to the point. Yep. So we watched Highlander. The 1986. Yes. Film. Yes. <laughs> and we also watched Flash Gordon from 1980. With, with both of them, both of them having a soundtrack by Queen. Yep, that was the connection. That's a double feature I've wanted to do for a long time. And they're sci-fi movies. They're sci-fi movies. By they're Queen. very, both of them are very spacey. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Sci-fi, like sci-fi, but... Yeah. Well, even though, I mean, Highlander didn't, wasn't, it seems spacey. It's time, well, those were all flashbacks. It's not time jumpy, but I don't know. It's super sci-fi. So they're basically comic book movies, both of them. Yeah. Even though I don't think Highlander was. I think I, Highlander was a novel. Oh, was it? Yeah, I looked it up. I was Before? Uh, is that what it's based on? Yeah, it's based off a novel. Interesting. There is a graphic novel out of it. Oh, I'm but. sure there's been... So technically, a few. Yeah, it was based off a, a series of novels. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's get in. Let's get right into it. Are we gonna do again, or are we gonna talk about them in the order that we watch them? Yeah, let's do them. Okay, Highlander is a night as we said a nineteen eighty six movie starring Christopher Lambert, Roxanne Hart, Clancy Brown, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Mine. Connery. Mine was terrible. Not just just Sean Connery. The Spanish Sean Connery. Yes. <laughs> Directed by Russell. Como estas? <laughs> Mulcahy? Mul- Mul- oh, man. I, I'm ter- Why do I do these? Why do I do these credits? I'm terrible with names. And three writing credits. Gregory Wyden, Wyden, Wyden Peter Bellwood, Larry Ferguson are all credited uh, with the screenplay. So specifically, though, we watched the, night, the uh, 30th anniversary director's cut. I don't know what the differences are between... The regular theatrical cut and the director's cut. I should have looked into it, but I didn't. But yeah, we watched the director's cut of this. Had you seen this before, Jasper? I have seen the Highlander. I have not seen it in many years. Many a moons ago. Okay. For a 1986 film, it wasn't bad. I liked, except again, Spanish Sean Conray. So, I, yeah, I had seen this before. Uh, it, uh, like you, it's been a long time. Been a long time since I've seen it. There was a whole lot I didn't remember. I like it quite a bit, and watching it this time, now that I'm older, I think I definitely appreciate the production of it more. I will say, 
Christopher Lambert. His performance is, it's kind of questionable. <laughs> it's a little all over the place. It didn't seem like he was like the first pick. I feel like he was not from America. Like he's from. He's not. He's not. But like. Like he had a weird his char- accent. His character is not in the movie, obviously. It's from, he's from the Highlands. Mm-hmm. It's the Highlander. Uh, McLeod. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's doing. Which is basically Scottish. Yeah. He's doing that accent. But later he's dropped that accent and just goes with his normal Christopher Lambert accent. And he's got a very distinctive, I'm not sure what it is, but he's got a very distinctive, strange accent that's kind of all his own, regardless of where he comes from. I feel like he's, his accent is just his. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not a place. It's a person accent. It was kind of like, I don't want to say monotone, like, but it seemed like if he would say like a full sentence, his accent would kick in. So I felt like they had him like talk in like spurts. Mm-hmm. And that's what was weird for me. It's hard to get a good grasp on him as a character because the younger him, especially when he's running around with Sean Connery, they're both so like overly, like overly friendly. Like, yeah, we're running on a beach. Woo. Like just overly friendly. And like, he seems, and I, I kind of get the idea of like, he's naive at that point, but he seems kind of like a man child. He seems overly naive. I think, I think that was mostly the basis of the, of the movie is showing that they're taking a young misguided boy to mm-hmm. become, become a man. I'm not going to take a boy out to become a man. So sure, sure. You know, well, and then, and then most modern day him is like very broody kind of, or just quiet, except for when he starts like talking to people and then he'll like try to put this like really kind of forced charm into it. And it's like, I don't know that none of it feels cohesive and he doesn't feel like a real person at all. I mean, everybody in this movie, nobody in this movie feels like real people, you know, they're not the most fleshed out characters since he's the lead and we follow through him through many flashbacks and stuff. Like I just never get a sense that this is one guy, let alone a real guy. Right. Yeah. That's my main critique of the movie. I'd say that or my main criticism. I also thought it was weird kind of jumping ahead was that. So the guy he first kills in the first part of the the movie is another, I'm going to just say he's another Highlander. Yeah. I know they're not like Highlanders, but they don't really say what they are. Because he's the Highlander, because he's from the well, Highlands. I got, but yeah, what I got is they're all Highlanders, or they're all of this. Like, let, I don't know what they would actually call them, but it seemed like they're all in the Highlander group. Yeah, I'll just but call what them was Highlanders. funny is he was training him basically to kill him later, because Mary he said there can only be one. He was. Oh yeah, no, I mean that's why it's and he's weird. he was friends with the other one. Yeah, the you know the the black guy. Uh huh. And he was like, you know, oh, they're all joyous about basically killing each other later. Yeah. I do want to talk about that, but I suppose we should probably give a quick summary of this. That's, okay. that's my fault. Yep. Before we really, I just kind of dove into it. If you don't know what the Highlander is. You have problems. Yeah. It's a sci-fi movie. Uh, it takes place, the first one anyway. I know the sequels get crazy and we're not really going to talk about sequels and stuff. Or the TV show. Or the movies based on the TV show. Or the movies that tie the TV show into the cinematic. We were talking about the true only can be one Highlander. There can only be one. Or there can be only one. Whatever. Hmm. So it's a sci-fi that takes place for the most part in modern times. 1986 modern times. Uh, but a lot of the movie also is flashback. So that you get set up of this this McLeod guy. Basically there's people. It seems like it's just random people are born this way. Born different. 
uh, and that they are immortal. And every so often there's a quickening because there can be only one. Mm-hmm. So they're all drawn together and then they fight and have to cut each other's heads off. And because they're, for some reason, there can only be one. Uh, and that's the whole premise. Like there's this, these immortal guys and they fight. I mean, that's it. That's the premise of the movie. So we follow McLeod from, you know, and they're like thousands of years. Like they live for, they've all been around for like 4,000 years or something. One fact I like to point it out that basically when one Highlander kills another, they are drawn closer together to to get to that only one. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's what I was thinking when they kind of like sucked in the power of the person they killed. I think that's just like the storm that they always refer to, pulling them closer. The quickening. Yeah. Which I feel like we have to watch the second Highlander and know what really the quickening is. From what I recall is it's so weird and so different. And we'll kind of get into why they definitely have to change or ignore some things from this movie to make a sequel work at all. Mm-hmm. And we will get into spoilers later. The big conflict is one of these guys is really evil. Mm-hmm. That's Clancy Brown. Um, he's been in lots of stuff. Like I was saying lately, he's usually cast as like the evil army uh, general or something. He was in the flash and oh, what was it? He was in something else real recently. Oh, Punisher. He's in that. And, uh, he was also in the HBO series Carnival. He was like the uh, evil priest type guy, evil father, whatever. He was in he's that. He's always an evil dude. He's Well, he's good evil dude. But this is interesting because he's a bit younger, but he doesn't really look that different. But he's like, he's always like a, a he's like a punk. Like even in the, even in the like, what was it? When does it start? The 1400s, 1700s, something like that. Even then, like he shows up wearing like a skull helmet and all this stuff. So then... <laughs> When we get to the 80s, he's legitimately, like, leather-punked out. And it's like he went from the band Guar to to the Ramones. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a pretty good way to put it. And he's so over the top, too. He's always got the voice. But, like, they even kind of explain it by he kind of got his throat cut at some point by Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. But he's always he's got the voice. It's always raspy. And he's just over-the-top villain. But, obviously... You need at least one of these guys to really be hot to like murder the other guys. You can't just have all the other, have them all be friends and be like, okay, well, nah, let's just hang out forever. You know, we're not going to have to kill each other. So it makes sense to have one guy to really like, first off, you need an antagonist because none of these guys, like uh, McLeod kills a guy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first time we get any sense that there's some weird stuff going on. A business, older business suit gentleman and fight in a parking garage. Mr. Anderson looking guy. And, and ja- it kind of blew Jasper's mind. It's because he backflipped everywhere he went. Backflip, backflip. It was so. You you missed the part where he backflipped across car hoods, then down off the cars, and then backflipped through the rest of the garage. Well, that's just impressive. No, that's just unneeded. <laughs> that is the thing. Like, yeah, no, I was looking away, but what I did see of him backflipping, it did seem totally unnecessary. And when he'd stop backflipping, like, it would clearly cut to. The actual actor, because that guy wasn't doing the backflips. Oh, dude! And what was funny was when they would show him backflipping. Suddenly, the backflip would stop. It would it would switch the screen, uh-huh. and then he's just casually walking. Yeah, that's and then the it thing. Would sh- backflip, backflip. <laughs> there was like, yeah, there was no like continuity of motion between cutting between the the stunt man and the actor who was clearly not able to backflip. Like, like, like I said, the, the thing would have been funny if he had just like thrown his sword at him while he's backflipped. He's like, <laughs> like, but yeah, no, I mean, it just, there was a lot of, it just seemed like 
he would basically, I the way I thought that backflipping should work, like he'd swing the sword and backflip away from it. But he would just be like, sword fight, sword fight, back away a little bit, and then start backflipping. So it just, it didn't make no, it made no sense. It's just unnecessary flash, you know, unnecessary flashiness, which that happens all the time. You see it in like, even still you see it where people are doing like little jumps and hops and parkour moves and stuff. And it's like, that's, that was completely unnecessary. And in fact, it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You're not doing anything. You're leaving yourself open while you're doing these little sk- stunts. See, that's why I hate watching stunt movies like that or like... You know, because like newer movies, they they choreograph the fights just well enough that you know you don't have to think of what they're doing. Like I said, a sword slash happens, he backflips away, get away from it, and goes into like a cover move. You know, but this guy's just—it was unnecessary. Watching, I've been watching. You know, I recently rewatched the entire series of Buffy, and especially like the first couple seasons. And this is a '90s TV show, mind you. There are so many little like spin kicks and stuff that are for nothing. And little backflips and stuff where it's like, you just wasted more time doing that backflip than you could have just like sidestep and kick. Like, you know, it's just flashiness. I saw a little bit in Highlander where they, they do a, like a spin move or like a attack move and you could tell it never connected. Uh-huh. I'd say though, for the most part, yeah, the fights in general are kind of wooden. Mm-hmm. But I loved the set pieces because every time there was especially, oh boy, I think there's four scenes where there's big like fights between these immortals and one of them loses it's always a big set piece Mm -hmm. and like it just destroys everything like if the fight itself doesn't destroy everything which sometimes it does uh when one of them like the power that transfers destroys everything but they just i the set pieces are set pieces are awesome and this garage one's kind of the first one and it destroys everything but the fight itself is a little underwhelming but that's okay. They need to start somewhere so that they can escalate. So that they can escalate to... Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, apparently sword strikes can take down a whole castle. I love it, though. <laughs> so that fight... Okay. Yeah, let's talk about some of the fights because, man, that stuff's cool. So spoilers. We're just going to spoilers. I mean, this is 30-plus year old movie. But, uh, what, 31, 32, 32-year-old 32 movie now. So... Clancy Brown and Sean Connery, this is during flashback times, are fighting, and it's when when our boy Sean, Sean Connery, he gets taken out. But they're fighting in this, like, uh, tower. What is it? It's basically like a watchtower. Yeah. Sort of. It's in the Highlands. Kind of like a like lighthouse a, almost. Kind of. I mean, it's not really a lighthouse, I don't think. It's, it's like a keep. A, yeah. Yeah. Keep. But it's a stone tower. And they're fighting in this place and they're going up around the stairs, but like, and it doesn't listen, it doesn't work. It doesn't, this is these swords, sword strikes. It doesn't earn it, Hmm. but like the sword strikes will like they're swinging at each other. And especially Clancy Brown, the, the villains like strikes, he'll hit the wall and then just massive holes in the side of this tower would blow out. Just rocks would crumble and stuff. And it's a combination of just the look of the film, but also like mainly the production. It looks so eighties. It's just so eighties, but I like it because it feels like the eighties fantasy movies and stuff, but the strikes are not hard. The sword like will miss Sean Connery and hit just like down a little, hit a little rock towards the bottom of the stairs. And then the whole side of the wall just crumbles out. Like you could legitimately tell where they cut the wall out. Yeah. Yeah. But my thing was like, you would think if he was 
you know, if because what I know what they're trying to show is the power behind his strike. Yeah. But you think he would hit like one rock and that one rock would fly out the wall the other way, but like it implodes on itself like every time. Yeah. Well, you're right with the power though, because also there's like a sparkler or something attached to the sword when it hits. Yeah. There's some like sparker type spark or something. Old Power Ranger spark. But but man, I love it though, because they end up literally tearing this entire building down while they're fighting in it. You can kind of tell that there's some, maybe not green screen. It might've been green. I don't know what... I don't know what color screen they'd use for backdrops at that point, but you know, there's some, uh, superimposed sky background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course the stairwell itself is the last thing to crumble so that you've get the big epic shot of them at the end of this, like stairwell that's crumbled to nothing way up elevated in the air for the beheading or whatever. The lightning strikes and like it's got the, the super eighties, uh, I don't know how the exact technique is, but the like animated lightning electricity magic effect. It's so cheesy. I think of the fight scenes, those first two are the least convincing, but man, that second one is so awesome because it just breathes 80s, mm-hmm. 80s, 80s especially, budget effects. Especially like you said with the with the the last, the only part of the freaking tower, tower that's there is the staircase, yep. which almost makes no sense because if the wall's gone, then the staircase would be gone. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like that 80s like triumphant you know, uh-huh. death scene. Yeah. We're like, I'm the champion, you know. It's missing like a wizard or something. I mean, this isn't that kind of movie, but that's what it seems like. Yeah, it's awesome. The other two big fight scenes are between the other immortal that we meet and Clancy in the alleyway. And I like that. Oh, they just all breathe 80s because it's like a lot of the, I like a lot of the modern day setting, modern quote unquote, because it's a lot of like walking through dark alleys, dark, dirty alleys and industrial areas. I was about to say, like, all, a lot of 80 movies, 80s movies that I watched that I remember. Take place in city. It's always city, about those alleys. The fight is always in the alley. Yep, like, yep. They won't fight out on the main street. They're like, mm, no. Yeah. I almost felt like that 80s music was going to come on when they're sword fighting. Uh-huh. And you know, like, that, and like, like, you know, but it never did. I love the production of this. I thought the production was really good, actually. Occasionally, it would go super stylized at one point. So there's, and I do want to discuss this too. There's a love interest. And at one point the villains going after the love interest busts into her house. And so like he's chasing her through the house and it's kind of got this like wide, super wide angle lens going on, following him around. Did you notice like the lighting in that scene? Like the red lights and the red lights coming out of different rooms for no, like, I'm like, really does, is her house really set up like a music video? Like, why does it look like this? But I loved it because I'm like, there's no reason for it other than it looks awesome because it looks like a music video because the other scene we seen of her in her apartment, she didn't have no red lights set up everywhere. Right. At times, super stylized. Did everybody have like a red light in their apartment? <laughs> I, I don't know. How many... Everybody that lives on this floor, we have a red light in the apartments, just so you know. How many rooms did she have too? Because it seemed like there was... It seemed like a pretty good size apartment for I think she one person. Because I remember her going through two and then ending in the last one was three. Really? Yeah. She's one person in New York City in a three-bedroom house? Uh, yeah. And then the last fight scene was pretty spectacular the coloring man this is because i'm a sucker for like synth wave that's adopted that very like 80s light mm-hmm. so like a lot of that like synth wave inspired the 80s inspired like retro designs it, it's like 80s but it's like it they picked and picked and choose certain things so i don't think i've ever watched an 80s movie that actually felt that modern retro throwback because like the last fight they end up in this this warehouse type room 
and it's like light blue and pink lighting on the window behind them. And I was like, this looks like a synthwave cover like this. I'm surprised I don't hear Highlander mentioned more in that whole scene um, because the production of it is just spot on that everything that people uh, today gravitate towards when they are talking about eighties, eighties things. So every movie has to have a love interest. Mm -hmm. This didn't make any sense to me. I actually really, okay. So McLeod had a wife at one point and of course he's immortal. So she grew old and died. And this movie actually really sold the idea of like how much, like how kind of crappy that is. Cause I've watched a lot of vampire stuff and you just see other stuff. That's a recurring thing where if somebody's immortal, it's like, well, you have to watch all your loved ones die because they'll grow old. But this actually sold it for me pretty well. Like I get it. Like, yeah, that would be terrible. It worked well. I thought here, even though Lambert's acting is a little iffy, but beyond her, beyond that, cause that worked for me. There's a modern day love interest that didn't work at all. I don't understand where the attraction was or where there was actually a connection. She doesn't hardly know this guy. And like their first big kiss is when he finally tells her that he's immortal. Of course she doesn't believe him. So he like gives her a knife and then makes her stab him and he doesn't die. It's the only way to, that's the only way to know what true love is. Just let your woman stab you. She's like, you know, then she's like, Oh my God, you are immortal. And then she's kissing him. It's like, I've seen, I sense no chemistry before this. And with his blood on your hand and the knife still in your hand is not necessarily the moment I would have expected this love to blossom, but what do I know? I'm not immortal. So stab me. So I know you love. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not even what it was though. That was just like, I need to prove this to you so we can get past your disbelief and deal with whatever we got to deal with. I don't know, whatever. It just wasn't a forced and I didn't buy the end. I'm getting all, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm getting my, my pros and cons out at about the same time. <laughs> Love the fight scene. Oh, the eighties production. The characters were terrible. The acting sucked. What's with this love story? The end was crap. <laughs> I will say though, for an eighties movie, the, the last graphics, the graphics of that final fight scene were not too bad. I love the set piece. It looked dangerous because they start the final fight on the roof, on this rooftop with this big electric sign. And during the course of the fight, the sign gets tore down. There's of course, one of those big, those like little water tower things on the top of, I don't know if there's a proper name for them on the top of the roof. Mm-hmm. And that basically that gets busted up. So it floods. So the, basically they're in a giant pool on the top of this roof with electrical wires flopping down in the water and like, you know, you get the 80s electricity animation all over and the this massive sign coming down, This all this metal and wreckage coming down. And dude, some of it, like, looks scary. Like, it looks like I wouldn't have wanted to be there on filming day that day. Right. Because they're legitimately Just flying around. It looks like they're actually on the top of a building where they've got water filled to the edge of the edge of the the top of the roof. And... They're pulling giant uh, signage down around them, like it looked legit. Mm-hmm. But then they they bust, they fall down inside. And now, were you talking about the uh, visual effects for? Obviously, McCloud be, is victorious mm-hmm. when he becomes victorious. Yeah, basically, like I guess he's like it's a release of the demons that are in them, or what they what people believe is Satan. Is that what? It, yeah, okay. Because it's a bunch of monster monsters. Mother- Oh my God, monster is the thing you do, Bunch huh? Of monsters, monsters. You said something about monsters last episode. Yeah. Um. At first, it looked like they're releasing from him, and then it looked like they're going back in him. Mm-hmm. But I think that's like all the souls from all the Highlanders. Yeah, I was unclear on what exactly that was. 
but yeah, it was. It was, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was almost like it was being drawn on a blackboard. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. It like, you know. <laughs> I don't know what that exact technique is, but I think it has, there's something to do with lighting film from the back. Maybe that's, maybe I'm thinking the 70s, like Star Wars laser effects. I don't know. But there's just a very particular look to that visual style, but it looks animated. And like, they really went all out with the animation on there because there, it's like different colored lights, uh, demons and stuff coming at him and it looks awesome i love it it's not necessarily realistic but it's kind of a magical light thing it's not going to be realistic you know but i i thought that was awesome too because you could tell of course that was wire work too where he's like spinning around and stuff which you said you saw the wire. i did see the wire you could totally see the wire that's awesome yeah one of them because he was turning a certain way and obviously they had him obviously like a wire coming up from around each about each shoulder Oh, the end. I was not thrilled with the end. I it just it just seemed like it kind of abruptly stopped. It did. I mean, I understand he like beat the bad guy. He got the girl, which still doesn't make any sense. But whatever. The idea is McLeod. It's a redemption thing for him. Like he needs to have be happy. And at the end, total spoilers. Like he becomes the one. There's no others, which means he <laughs> out of nowhere. Because this none of this is mentioned before. Of course, I guess they don't know. But it means he can. Any other person in the world, he can basically, what, read their minds or just know what they're doing or what they're thinking, which is weird. But also, he's mortal now. And I'm like, well, that's not really great. Mm-hmm. And he can now have children because the immortals couldn't have children before. He knows everything. He just knows everything, I guess, which is, okay, it's weird. It's just weird. Yeah, I think he kind of like, he kind of like takes in everybody's memories, I think is what they're kind of trying to say about the, of the other Highlanders. Because that's what I think the whole electricity explosion type thing is, is that they're t- they're taking the essence of the other Highlander mm-hmm. and becoming even stronger Highlander. They touch on some things that maybe, since these are based on novels then, since this was based on some novels, I'm guessing they just pulled in some random things. They couldn't fit everything in, of course. But, like, they have this thing where there's a... Connery was teaching him about their connection to animals. Like, he can feel what an animal feels, and then there's... So he does with it. What was it? A deer, a stag, a stag, a stag. and it starts running. So then they start running and I'm just like, but that doesn't ever develop into anything. They don't ever actually use that. I legitimately thought that Sean Connery, because he's doing like the hoof thing that stags or deers do before they take off or he was going to, you thought he was, I thought he was going to transform. Oh, <laughs> I thought oh yeah. Highlanders would be like, and he's a freaking stag, you know? Sure. Sure. I was like, Oh, here it comes. <laughs> like beast wars or, what was that? Animorphs, the book. I never read those. Really? Yeah. Oh wait, no, that'd be yeah. This past your time. And I've heard, I've heard on other podcasts, I've heard people talk about those books fondly, and it's like all the hosts knew what it was, and they were talking about it. And I'm like, I don't know what none basically of they're they talking could, about. They could turn into animals whenever they wanted to. I I, fig- I figured that from the from the title, and I, I actually have to correct myself because we said Sean Connery is the Spanish Sean Connery. He does say he's from Egypt. Yeah. He yeah. But I guess even though only less. Egypt is in the middle of Scotland. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why would you? Why would you not make him Scottish? They're there. That's what. But I think that's what they're trying to get away from. Separate him from McLeod being pretty much Scottish. It's just a, that's a weird decision. I guess it makes sense that it doesn't. It almost makes you think. Why wasn't he the Highlander? Oh, there was a scene where they're practicing up on some rocks on a mountain. Mm-hmm. That also scared the crap out of me. I'm like, how did they get up there? That is scary. 
I know the actual actors. It looked like them up there. I know I've looked this up in other movies, but usually their helicopter, they get a helicopter up to the top or on basically drop them in. Yeah. Because it didn't look like, I don't know where they would have climbed up on that rock. It looks scary. And Sean Connery was looking pretty stiff. Like he was not, he was trying not to move around too much. There was a movie and I forgot what it was, but it had really kind of, it was, it was filmed, I believe, I think in Ireland. And the actors were scared because the rock that they were filming off of, I think they were just kind of standing there. They had to land the helicopter just one skid to let them out. And then the helicopter pulled off and did the filming. Oh, it's so scary. But just to think that you're on a ledge and there is one skid of the helicopter just sitting there. And if that helicopter, like, because helicopters are pretty susceptible to wind change. Uh-huh. And you just, you step off and watch that, oh, boom, like. Scary. Because usually filming helicopters are not like rescue helicopters where they have more of that horsepower. Mm-hmm. So any like dramatic wind change is going to topple that thing. Yeah. Just be like, yeah, you get out here and we'll film you for a couple minutes. I guess. And also the rock, the thing is there, and it was really kind of, there was a grade. It was kind of slanted. Mm-hmm. Ugh, but I don't like heights, man. And usually with rocks like that, man, you make one misstep, it's over. I mean, you fall, you start sliding and you're going to roll off the edge of that thing. Mm-hmm. It looked scary. It looked. Mm-mm. Anyway, I'm just. I'm always. I'm impressed, of course. You know, because a lot of action movies and stuff. You know, it's always about people looking like they're in danger and doing dangerous things. But you always know, like, you know, it's a movie. They're being safe most of the time. But occasionally, you'll see some stuff in movies, and there's that, and then the last fight scene on the top of the roof, where I was like, that looks dangerous. Like none of the, nothing about this looks safe. How 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 did they do it? It didn't look like there was effects to it. Well known but not well known fact that a lot of stunt guys get hurt. Oh yeah, no for sure. Like hella hurt. Even when things go right, that's still hard on your body. Things don't always go right. They're still doing dangerous mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm really okay. So I'm really torn on the rating of this Highlander. But I think our discussion helped because there was a lot of negative things to mention. That said. That saying is known, even though it's funny now. They say the thing. They say that line. There can be only one, like, many times in this movie. But, like, that is a thing. Like, that's a a well-known reference. Yeah. And I think for a reason. Like, I think this is a decent cult classic movie. I think the production was excellent. Uh, It's a a fun idea. And I definitely think I liked it more. I liked it this watch more than I remember liking it in the past. I'm going to... Ooh, I'm going to give it four. I'm going to give it four stars. I would say, honestly, 3.5. Okay. Kind of between that three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, it was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I will say that. For for being as long as a movie that it was, it actually kept me quite engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's about two hours. Yeah, I think it was an hour and 56 minutes. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, some of the lead guys acting was a little, mm. kind of started to lose me. But kind of, I think like the whole coming of age feel to that movie mm-hmm. was kind of nice. Okay. Yeah. I get that. Although basically the coming of age was, was sold by Sean Connery. You know, I'm, I'm a DJ, my boy, you know? Yeah. Three, five. And also it made me realize the best thing about Christopher Lambert. Sorry. I say his name like that every time. It's his laugh. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. How? <laughs> yeah. It's that. <laughs> and it's so funny because I never really noticed it until back in the day. Mortal Kombat, he plays Raiden in the first Mortal Kombat, and he does that He does that laugh, and it always amused me. And then watching this, he does it many times. Like, any time his character laughs, it's that laugh, and it, it makes me makes me chuckle, makes me smile. His, his iffy, 
iffy acting throughout most of this. I I can I can deal with it if if he's gonna throw that laugh once in a while. Also, one liners at Nazis, so that's mm-hmm. that was amazing. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but uh, all right, that was Highlander. Okay. Now, from the 1700s to the 1980s, Earth, we're gonna travel out to Mongo. Mongo. In the in 19- I want to see the travel ad for that place. <laughs> Mongo, right? Come be a part of the empire. So we also, we didn't even talk about the queen music in Highlander. I, I feel like it wasn't as present as it is it, in this one. Definitely not. There was music by queen in Highlander, including a couple songs, a couple notable songs, like the, like the you know, do you really want to live forever type, whatever. I can't sing it. But for the most part, most of the movie had normal traditional film score. And I didn't look up the credits. I'd meant to. I really should have. I don't know how much of the the movie was actually by queen and how much was by maybe, maybe it's credited as queen and -and so-and-so traditional film composer, film score composer. But yeah, it's it's not as prevalent. It's there, but it felt like more like a couple songs. Now jump over to flash Gordon from 1980. That's all queen. At least it seems like it's all queen. I think it was, I think the entire score, I think the entire score from start to finish was queen. It sounded like it. And I, and I dug it because it's a lot of like, it, well, it's 1980. So it's super late 70s synths, uh, a lot of, you know, analog synths and queen guitar and flash. Yeah. Um, so let me pull up, let me pull up some say, cast and crew. Every one of us. Flash Gordon from 1980 starring Sam J. Jones as Flash Gordon, Melody Anderson as Dale. Max von Sydow as the Emperor Ming, Topol as their doctor friend. Well, not really friend. He kidnapped them. It was Dr. Zacharoff. Okay. Timothy Dalton was in this? Mm Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other people. This was directed by Mike Hodges, based on characters created by Alex Raymond, adapted by Michael Allen, and screenplay by Lorenzo Semple Jr. Yeah, okay, so this is the 1980 live-action uh, adaptation of Flash Gordon, which was a uh, old school pulp sci-fi comics, uh, movie serials. Just for, so we're clear on this, that is not actual like eatable serials. It's S E R I A L S. No, just making sure. Some of us. I'm just saying. Some of us know. Us younger peeps need to know. Listen, I wasn't alive back then, but I still know what it is because I know a little bit about film history. Okay, well, you're... some of us need to get educated. I will. You will. Right after you go to hell. <laughs> no, just want to make. I just want to make sure our younger generation that's listening doesn't know what those are. Really, because they have access to the internet, which I didn't have when I was but, their age. But can you tell which one you're using on a podcast? No, serials, serials. No, yeah, it was Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch, and Flash Gordon. That's what made him famous. Okay. Movie serials. Movie serials. As in... Movie. A serialized film. (laughs) I don't mean to offend. I'm just saying. I know. I'm not offended. When you say movie serials... I'm not offended by you. Movies. I'm offended by the world. True. No. Well, people don't talk about it much. I don't know what people know, but I'm assuming somebody knows some things. Sir, had you ever seen this movie before? No. I I have... You've never seen it? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. I remember seeing the toys and stuff. I remember seeing actual cereals, 
with Flash Gordon on them. Probably has been actual cereal foods. Yeah. Whole grain movie goodness. Anyway. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. So I grew up with, with all the toys and stuff, seeing it from my uncle and my parents and stuff. Okay, that makes sense. I'm. It seemed like he was huge when they were younger. But yeah, all I ever know is those Queen Flash. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I remember hearing that a lot. This would run on TV on like Super Saturdays and Super Sundays on like the local state on the uh, broadcast stations all the time when I was younger. Like this and Masters of the Universe and Breakfast Club, you know, just those movies that they'd run on TV on the weekends all the time. So I've seen I've seen this a bunch. That said, it's been a long time and there's a lot of this I don't remember, but I have seen this a bunch. I like it. It's fun. It's ridiculous. It's super camp. Uh, if you don't know what it is, and it seems like Flash Gordon doesn't get talked a lot about these days, you know, he's like one of the quintessential, like, old school spaceman, like a rocket man action adventure guys, like mm-hmm. the old sci-fi, obviously comic strips and serials and just pulp stuff. It's him on, like, 40s and old school looking rocket ships flying around and having adventures in space. Like that's flash Gordon. And in this super colorful over the top, ultra camp, ultra camp live action version. So we got flash. He's a football player on earth. Plays for the New York jets. Yes. Yep. He's the quarterback. Oh yeah. And he national football association and league actually more national football league. He's the quarterback of the New York Jets, as that guy was saying. So this, the, the the villain, was it Emperor Ming? Mandarin. I mean, yes, Ming. Emperor. Emperor Ming. White. Ming uh, the Merciless. Yellow face. There was a little bit of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was taken from that style, like a Chinese style. Yeah. But it's not. It's Max Van Saito, and he's, he's very white. They come across Earth. He's just this evil galactic ruler type guy. And so he's just kind of tearing it up with his machine that can make earthquakes happen in hot, hot hail, hot hail, hot hail. It's just not hail. It's It's hot hot hail. hail. Yeah. It burns. So he starts messing with earth, flash Gordon and love interest damsel in distress. I don't remember. She was a Dale Porter. Yeah. Of course she, they always are, aren't they? Mm-hmm. But that's also kind of a throwback to like, you know, yeah, they, it's like Lois Lane. Those two, they're plane crashes in the scientist's lab. The scientist has a rocket ship for some reason. And when this, when everything's going down, he, the scientist and these two get launched into somewhere. Into space. I want to say space, but mm-hmm. space is weird. What I got from it is they launched into space. He saw their shuttle and then he pulled it basically through a portal to them. What is their world? Their world is a weird thing because I think it's supposed to be what I really think is I think it's supposed to be a universe next to ours. It's like space. It's like they're like in the clouds basically. It's like the fictional space because this is from a time went before we actually ever traveled in space. So it's like a fictional space before people knew what space was. So yeah, it's a lot of crazy clouds and color and like different quote unquote continents are just like floating rocks in various places and you don't have to worry about atmosphere or anything. I'd like to point out the fact that they said that all of the, all of the continents and stuff on Mongo are floating islands. They're all jettisoned into the atmosphere. 
Okay, they yeah. have jets under them. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very strange, but it looks very cool. I just wonder if they run out of fuel, do they just slam it? Well, that's the thing. thing. It would have to be something that was just perpetually renewing itself. You couldn't have a finite amount of fuel powering your continent-lifting rockets. Right? Like, you would think it would just, like, that would not be sufficient. Mm-mm. See, now I overthink everything because I'm like, well, because then if you're running jets constantly, the shielding around the jet engine is going to crack from heat, you know, excessive mm. heat all the time. It just doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem safe. Well, this is weird alternate, not future kind of future technology. Mm-hmm. Basically they just strapped a whole bunch of four phantom jets to the bottom of a continent and just full afterburner forever. And then also if you destroy that continent, it just still floats in space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, so, so they, they end up on this place it's uh, you know whatever they there's lots of strange characters the emperor rules everything with an iron fist and uh the storyline is very much after takes after the serials in that they don't do cliffhangers but it's it if it were a serial it's appropriate cliffhanger after cliffhanger where it's just the it's just flash gordon getting into these life-threatening situations where it looks like he's about to die but then somehow he comes out of it and then gets into another life-threatening situation where he's about to die and then comes out of it. And that's what most serials were. It was just an adventure where it's just a string of like, at the end, it looks like our hero's going to die or our sidekick or the love interest or whatever is certain doom. And then come back next week. And then you come back and they got out of it in some cheesy way until the end of that episode in which they'd be in another pinch. And so this movie plays out in terms of like, Flash's plotline specifically, it is just a series of him like almost getting killed, but he gets out of it somehow. And he ends up leading an, uh, an uprising, which they call right at the beginning. As soon as they're there, before they even see what this place is, really, the doctor, scientist guy that took them calls out the whole thing. And he's like, these people are oppressed. Seems like somebody like you could really lead, a, lead them to freedom or something like that. And I'm like, wow, you're just going to. Like, I don't know what you're basing that off, Dr. Guy, because you've seen, like, nothing yet. But, uh, yeah, that's the movie. Right. And it is. That's the movie. He's very G.I. Joe. Flash? Yeah. Like, or very American bravado? Oh, yeah. I mean, he has zero personality to me. Like, he, there's not much to him. Kind of the same thing, the kid, being a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he plays very, very innocent and earnest. Mm-hmm. With this... It's fun. It's fun. It's so over the top. The production, the costumes. This is one of the few times, I think, for me, where they go so over the top with every aspect of the production. The sets are ridiculous. Everything's super colorful. The costumes are ridiculous. Everyone's costume. Flash Gordon himself changes costume like five or six times. Out of nowhere, too. Oh, yeah. Out I don't know where. Dude, there's times when I'm like, wait. Where did he, how did he change? Like, like this dude's got a wardrobe in like every part of the Mongo and he's never been here. Yeah. Yeah. That said though, I mean, I'm not super keen on his, his outfits, but this is one of the few times where it's a movie like that, where it's so over the top. I'm kind of on board with a lot of these costumes and these outlandish. I mean, some of them look stupid, but still super cool. Right. The, the evil guards, like a lot of them look like super colorful red and gold, like samurai outfits but their helmets have like skull faces on them. The right hand man is the coolest looking character. I think the right hand man of the villain mm-hmm. where he's got like this, uh, is it silver? 
Gold. Is it gold too? It was gold. Like this gold skull face, skull mask that he wears all the time. And that mad face all the time. Yeah, and like the jaws separate, so it moves when he ta- uses his jaw, but it looks super cool. He kind of remind me. I don't know if you know who this is. MF Doom. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of the MF. Yeah, Doom. yeah. MF Doom mask. It is very much like that. Yeah. Random guards, the red robe guards, so that you said they look like what was it Snoopy? Look like Snoopy or some kind of dog because it was like elongated. They had long, elongated noses, and when they got shot, they made pig sounds. Yeah, which... I was always kind of expecting to see a pig face under there at some point, but you don't ever see anything. But they look goofy, but still kind of cool, too. Kind of ominous. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Again, kind of like he's that naive guy, but he's trying to help them. Which kind of felt like kind of rushed, because like he's trying to help them, but he knows nothing about this world. But he kind of does. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Like how he can fly this rocket cycle or whatever he yeah, called it he slid down the only slide that leads to that thing yeah but yeah it just like it felt very like old east i would say old eastern movies like kind of that samurai feel okay and then kind of it's very kind of game of thrones like everybody has their own place to kind of rule but there's oh yeah it's and, kingdoms yeah like they have their their bannermen they don't really like the supreme guy but they're just like we don't want to be rolled over so mm-hmm Let's not them off. Like, you know. Yeah, it is definitely that. And Flash has to convince the two other. He's basically the Kit Harrington character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know nothing, Flash Gordon. You know nothing. <laughs> and it was funny, too, because the, the girl, um, I forgot her name now. Aura, I think is how you say her name. The daughter? Yeah. The daughter, uh, Ming's Aura? daughter. Yeah, some. Yeah, Ming's daughter reminds me of the the woman in red. The, the lady in Game of Thrones. She's kind of manipulating like three or four men yeah three or four men that are heads of of their clans Mm -hmm. so that's what i kind of felt when i was watching that movie like it was kind of a game of thrones base storyline not game of thrones quality i wouldn't have made that connection but yeah it's very much that fantasy medieval fantasy but the not medieval fantasy setting Mm -hmm. that's interesting though because the downfall ming's downfall is more her than anybody else because she apparently has seduced everyone and gets the, that's how she gets them to do things for her she's the one that f- helps fake flash's flash gordon's death so he can escape and like sets him up with hey these guys over here and gets kind of the ball rolling whether that was her intent or not mm-hmm. kind of almost felt like she wasn't trying to overthrow him maybe just get his attention you know because it seemed like the way she was talking, she wasn't, like, saying overthrow him, but she was, like, okay with overthrowing him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, she didn't make it really abundantly clear that she wanted to overthrow her father. She just was, like, she just he's wanted- evil and we need to take him down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her motives weren't really ever made clear, but she's one of the few that seemed like she definitely had things she was doing intentionally. Otherwise, you know, Flash Gordon just wanted to get... He didn't even seem concerned with the doctor. He just wanted to get Dale back and then go save Earth. He wanted to save Earth. It doesn't make sense that he'd be able to overthrow these people. Yeah. Like the scene, the battle scene between the um, the, f- the flying guys. I don't know if they really never named them or not. One of them is re- referred to as a hawk man. Yeah. Okay, I don't let's say the hawk man. Mm-hmm. The hawk men. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fighting a ship with lasers and somehow winning. Yeah. You would think they would just pick him out of the sky and the fight would be over. Ajax. Ajax. War Rocket Ajax. War. I, yep. yep. Anyway. I thought that was funny, too, because it's basically a bunch of barbarian hawkmen f- 
flying up to this war rocket Ajax. Basically a Star Destroyer. Yeah, and uh, that's the battle. And I was like this. Like, they end up winning, of course, but, like, it really doesn't make any sense. Why? Just why open a door? Just my thing. They did put a bomb on the side, but. From this and Star Wars, I'm learning that the henchmen you hire really need to go through marksman training. Oh, yeah. Because they're just like, yeah, these guys are really good shooters. Oh, God, they did horrible on the range. But, yeah, they're great. (laughs) Also, don't hire pig people for henchmen and don't cover their faces so they can't see anything because Dale running around without any shoes on. And then doing a backflip or a front flip, actually. Did she? Yeah, she did like either a front flip or a somersault. She took a whole bunch of those pigmen out and like they couldn't shoot. She couldn't shoot. Nobody could shoot. But she took a whole bunch out because they could never seem to see anything. Dude, that would make sense that they can't see because if they're pigmen and they're pigmen. Uh-huh. And the holes to the mask are on the front. The pig's eyes are over here. <laughs> so no wonder why they couldn't see her. <laughs> they're like, uh, Emperor, no, it looks cool. Don't challenge me. Like they would only be able to see right in front of them. Do you want to talk about the acting? Kind of, kind of, kind of lame. I think Flash Gordon was bland. I think partially that's his character. I thought the girl did at least pretty good. She did okay. Although she came, she came kind of bland too. She did. Like I, the the two Earth people were bland and cheesy. The Doctor was super cheesy. The the biggest thing I point out with her with with Dale is like when she thinks Flash is dying, and she's just like. Oh, Flash. Oh, Flash. <laughs> like, Maybe it's because she was on that drink. Like, That was good stuff that made you not care. Didn't make you forget. It made you not care so much to remember. I think Max Van Saito was awesome, but he's always awesome. The Ming, the main, mm-hmm. the main villain. I, I, I just like the way he... And I, he even has like a villain name, Max Von Saito. That's his name, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, if you don't know, he was in... He was the old priest in The Exorcist. When he was young, he was like 23, and that's the best old person makeup in the world because I don't know if he looks that old. Ooh, is he still alive? I don't know if he... The last thing I recall seeing him in was What Dreams May Come from kind of the late 90s with Robin Williams. You ever see that? Uh, I've never seen it, but... Well, he played, he was he was older there, and this is like 30 years after The Exorcist, and he still looked older in The Exorcist. Like, it's the best old person makeup ever. Anyway... It's him, and I think what I liked is that he strut around. He did a lot of this like thing with his hands, where he did it a couple times, where he'd like shake his hands or whatever, like hold his hands out. But I think what I was, I was, I was trying to pinpoint the words. I think it's just because he strolls around and he looks like relaxed and carefree the whole time. But then it turns out you were looking up trivia, and how much was his? Co- how much did his costume weigh? Six, uh, seventy pounds. Seventy pounds. Seventy pounds. He had seventy pounds of costume on. I was surprised to hear that. Wear it for a short time, or could st- they said could stand it only for a short time. That's crazy because, like I said, he he looked like relaxed and loose and like he'd stroll around like like he owned the joint and he like really sold that. And I think that's what I was keying into because he did. He was the emperor. He's like that's his stuff. I just liked how he portrayed that. So I was really surprised to hear that he's rolling around with seventy pounds of costume on. Uh, yeah, talking about costumes, can we talk about the lizard people? Oh. Oh, like why is it they're lizard people, but their faces in their mouth, like, <laughs> or the you know eyes bulging out of people when they die? <laughs> that was just the one guy. It was his eyes and his tongue, and it looked gross, dude. The tongue looked gross. I didn't see the tongue actually. Yeah, until the eye, the eyes got me. I was like, he got spiked. He got thrown on some spikes, and like, yeah, his eyes and tongue blah, 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 bulge out of his face. 
his skull mask face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. It's weird. It was weird. It's it kind of gross. You had a chuckle about it because it's funny. It doesn't make sense why it would happen. But then again, like, and so, so, such a delay too after he dies. It was like, oh, and I didn't, I don't know who played him, and we never actually see his face, but he was good. Like, I, he was an awesome villain because when he's got his own little cubbyhole room on this ship that they travel around in that he sleeps in, where it's just like they hit a button and the door opens and it like raises his little, like, it's like a hyperbolic chamber. Yeah. And it raises him up and he's like, uh, what's going on? And so they tell him information. Then he's like, how long till we get there? And he's, they're like, whatever time. And he's like, let me sleep till then. And he lowers back down into it. And I'm like, what? Yeah, they said 17 minutes. So he's like, you know what? Take him 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That was so funny. Wake me. Like he did. I don't know if you ever played Halo. He kind of did the Master Chief thing. Mm. Wake me when you need me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just rope goes back into the ship. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I think he was a cool character. Uh, the daughter was okay. I mean, you know, and I think her acting was fine. Timothy Dalton, he was just Timothy Dalton, but I thought he was good. He looks like a looks like a jerk, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, overly like overly good looking, super charismatic jerk. You know, right? 007. Yeah, 007. Exactly. 007. Not people's favorite 007, but yeah, I always thought he was okay. Better than Roger I, Moore. I don't. Wait, which ones were, were Dalton in? Do you know? No, I think he was only in one. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm thinking one of the. Maybe I'm thinking the other guy. My favorite was Pierce Brosnan. I haven't really watched the news with new ones with Daniel Craig, but Daniel Craig. I seen two of the four that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Connery, old school. I think that's the first James Bond stuff I ever really watched that much. Even though you know he's not good to women, that's for sure. Right, right. <laughs> the actor or the character. So this is that thing where it's like. It's the 80s. It's late 70s, but it's 1980, early 80s. Throwback to stuff. And I've said it on the other show many times where it's like every decade, because of the age of, I think, the people that kind of get into the the creative roles and the producer roles, like you see things that are throwbacks to approximately 30 years before. And with that, with this, you're getting throwbacks to 40s and 50s sci-fi. Lots of miniatures where it's like old school style rocket ships, you know, like, I don't know, think like Fallout, the Fallout universe has that like kind of 50s style everything. Mm -hmm. It's got rocket ships that look like that, you know, the, the sets, there's so many of the sets and the shots look like they should be the covers to 1950s sci-fi books. Um, Just the way the lands look, where it's lots of jaggy rocks and stuff. And then a lot of the sky is that. Like you said, it's it's the it's basically paint drops in differently lit uh, water tanks or tanks. Mm-hmm. So it's got that kind of psychedelic swirling color look. And that's like all of the sky all of the time, you know. Mm-hmm. That stuff's awesome. I like that throwback look. Like it's campy where they went super like, let's make this movie a comic book, like for real. Right. And for me, yeah, it's cheesy. But I think it works. Like, I think it works a lot better than that. That usually does work, at least for me. It wasn't a bad movie. Are we ready for star ratings? Yeah. Okay. You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. I, I always go first. I say three. Okay. Flat three. Um, it was good. It kept me engaged. But like I said, it's just a lot of the naiveness was kind of, I think it's like from Highlander is kind of wearing on me. But, and it was also kind of rushed. It was just like, boom, 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 done. <laughs> I mean, they got to. They're mm-hmm. like, how many, how many times we can we almost kill this guy? You right. Know? 
It's almost two hours too. It's a decent length movie. Mm-hmm. Just to sum up what I've spent the last too long talking about. I like the look of it. I like the production. It's in a different way than Highlander. Highlander's got like a, a very well done production and it's, it is also over the top and stylized, but this is like over the top and stylized in a completely different way. I'm going to give this three and a half, three and a half stars because I'm, I like it more than most things. <laughs> I appreciate a lot of it. I can deal with the camp, the lizard costumes as terrible as they were. There was still something kind of creepy about it because it's like the little, the super cheesy vinyl plastic that it was made out of on their faces went like right up to their eyeballs. Like it was just their eyeballs in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was a stupid costume, still weirdly creepy, even though it looked super fake and weird, weird concept. And it's fun. So I, I liked it. I'm going to give it 3.5. All right. So from the Highlands to Mongo. Or the Highlands of Mongo. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Some hot hail in those highlands. The movie studios are looking for uh, something to rival Guardians of the Galaxy. We need a sci-fi space opera cinematic universe. (laughs) I don't know. How would Highlander and Flash Gordon fit into a cinematic universe? Now, I'm going to go ahead and preface this with, I know there's lots of Highlander stuff there's like three original highlander movies the second highlander either ignores or does something that basically undoes the end of the first highlander it takes place in the future or something and i know there's a tv series with another mcleod i don't know any of that stuff though and you know what the studio execs don't know that stuff either so we're going to show them just the first highlander and flash gordon and then pitch these ideas based on just those movies and that's how we're going to have to handle most of the time, other big franchises. I know we didn't really do that when it came to Knight Rider and Baywatch, but we at least had some kind of knowledge of other stuff there. All right. Did you know Flash Gordon was also a Highlander? And you know this. You you should have seen this coming because they can't kill this guy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's immortal. They gassed him. They tried to drown him. And as we've seen in the Highlander, you can't drown him. They'll just talk like a weird f- f- fish person. To themselves. Right. <laughs> of course, Flash doesn't know this until later. His Sean Connery is McLeod. And so my idea for... So this is that's pretty straightforward, right? So my idea... Because Flash Gordon ends on a question mark. Like, they had a series of these planned. Mm-hmm. That's what they said. They had uh, multiple movies, but the, the first one didn't make enough money. Should have stepped on that ring at the end. You knew he should have stepped on that ring, and he didn't. So Mean comes back. Almost like Ming's also immortal. Where do you think these Highlanders came from? Mongo. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I know the one villain from Highlander's not still around, but dude, he ran around. He was from Mongo. Mm-hmm. He was from Mongo because at the beginning, he ran around with a big skull helmet, just like the guys from, from Mongo did, just like He's the like bad guys. agent of the, the hand. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't have to make it a cinematic universe. It already is. Mm-hmm. And just plugged in. Yeah. So to make it a proper pitch, though, I got to at least pitch one movie, right? I want to see I want to see the direct sequel to Flash Gordon. Flashlander. 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 <laughs> Flashlander. But Ming invades Earth. Ming comes back, gets his army together. He's like, if this one Earthling come back and overthrew me 
these guys aren't as pathetic as I thought. We need to go there. We need to take care of this now. We hmm. sent a guy there back in like the 1700s, and we haven't heard from him since. Him, he was a little out there, but you know, his 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 uh, I don't know, his relative was my right hand man for a long time. So I, I think part of it should be better yet. One movie is they invade Earth. So we've got you know all the Mongo evil Mongo people coming to Earth, battles on Earth. You know, McCloud's got to get involved. Either the same movie or you make this another movie to where we get McCloud and Flash Gordon team up on Mongo. It'd be great. I can almost like see it happening. That's a bad thing. It all like honestly, like it's kind of ridiculous, but it actually works a lot easier and would be far less of a stretch than I would have initially thought. Right? Like it it just The tone of the shows are different, right? Mm. But you can make it work. You can make it work because they're both a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they're both a lot cheesy. You can make those cheesy qualities align. Mm-hmm. Just kind of have to kind of ignore the end of the Highlander movie. But I think Highlander 2 ignores the end of Highlander. So there you go. Whatever. But yeah, I mean, that was the same, the same as I was thinking. Mm-hmm. They all collide together. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to work a little bit on the, the timeline, but yeah, there's, it's just too scrambled for me to. Well, I mean, it could be as simple as. Timeline-wise, we don't find out Flash is a Highlander until after Ming invades Earth. Yeah. And that's when that's when McCloud gets involved. The big what moment will be when we discover that, you know, Flash Gordon's also immortal. And then it's like, well, duh, nobody can seem to kill this guy. Right. On the cover of that film, they show him with the sword. And you only see that for like a minute, like at the end, when he goes after Ming. I wanted to kind of incorporate that in the, the Highlander. Because they have a big thing with swords in mm-hmm. Highlander. Yeah, they do. They do. I will kind of, it's almost like the moment he realized he was a Highlander. Also, in my personal headcanon, this is reaching beyond what our goal for the cinematic universe is this episode. McCloud totally becomes Raiden after he lives long enough. Right. <laughs> it's that laugh. That laugh gave it away. Right. It's Raiden. <laughs> he becomes. He, he, he disguises himself as basically. A fighter. In fact, we can borrow heavily. Flies to Asia. We can. And trains. Yeah, yeah. We can borrow heavily from the Mortal Kombat Mm -hmm. universe. And we'll just, we'll just replace Shao Kahn with Ming. Ming's invading army. Shao Kahn has the whole name. His first name in Highlander was Russell. And then. Was it? Nash. Yeah, Russell Nash. So put those two names together and then just make up the last part. Read in. Right. Should, sure. Did that work? No. <laughs> that did not work. It didn't work. That was a stretch. It's, 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 it's a long walk to get there, and I think you're still walking. <laughs> I'll find my way. <laughs> find my way. But how can we get Connery in this? Just more flashbacks? But kind of like the Star Wars. Where he comes oh, back as like a he's force ghost. He almost – so he doesn't come back as like a force ghost in Highlander, but he does do voiceover narration about things that neither he nor McLeod would necessarily known. And it felt a little force ghosty mm-hmm. to me because at times it seemed like he was talking to McLeod and McLeod was understanding. Oh, and what's kind of funny too is his character, Sean Connery's character was kind of wearing the, almost the same red garments that Ming's people were wearing. So Very similar. Ming defector trying to teach him how to defeat Ming. That's true. That's true. Boom. You must defeat Ming. <laughs> we cannot allow him, allow him to live. Okay, listen, I know it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. but honestly, now that we've talked about it, it totally works, and I want to see this. I want to see it. I've, <laughs> I pitched it to myself, and now it must be. 
Except It'd be amazing to see. We didn't talk about the Queen soundtrack that much from Flash Gordon, but it's awesome. During the big end sequence, every time Flash pops up, Flash! Um, they even did the guitar version of the Wedding March. Yep, yep. And it sounded awesome. It, it was, was amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. So between the two movies, because Highlander, I mean, this is your first clue. Highlander, there's a song about not one to live forever. Flash Gordon, the Hawkman says, well, says that line. So uh, I know, I know we probably can't get new music from Queen. You're not going to have Freddie Mercury, but there's enough movie. There's enough music between the two movies and you could get probably some existing people, some existing guys to come up with some more instrumental stuff. Like, we could still have Queen soundtracks through this whole cinematic universe. Yes. Every movie. It's got to have Queen. How many members of Queen? Are they still active? Two. At all. There's two of, them. two of them are left. Guitarist and I believe the drummer. They're probably not that active. No, they're still touring. Okay. They, they picked up a new vocalist. Mm-hmm. Like a new, new vocalist. I want them to score this whole thing. And also, listening to these soundtracks made me realize, like... We should add them on Twitter. Part of what... Are you guys up for this? <laughs> We should just start making these things, make them happen. We need to start just throwing them out there. We're just throwing it out there into the ether. Dude, with the current movie platform. You never know. Maybe Netflix is like, hey, we can scoop up some of these properties for cheap. Mm-hmm. Let's make it so. Oh, yeah. Flashlander sounds amazing. Flashlander. Yeah. Get yeah. Disney on board. Because <laughs> they probably own the rights to it. So. <laughs> True. That's no doubt. What's the movie called? Flashlander? Sounds amazing. Quick Queen. Just the, the guitars, man. The guitars oh, were awesome. Especially the wedding march with a guitar. <laughs> it sounded awesome. I had to th- rethink my whole wedding for that. It made me realize, like, part of what... Because I was telling you during the show, like, so... The music for Metalocalypse, Death Clock, or Brandon, Brandon Small, like, is awesome. Like, even though it's, it's music for a cartoon band... Mm-hmm. Like it's some of my favorite metal because it just sounds so awesome. And I think part of it is they pull off this like epic guitar stuff that doesn't always work for me. But listening to this Queen soundtrack, I'm like, that's just the Queen guitar. That's like Queen, the way they like do kind of their harmonized guitar, like epic melodies. That's part of what's so awesome about Death Clock. Then you mix some metal in there. But also if you look at Brendan Small's other stuff, it makes sense because he loves crazy big space opera stuff, sci-fi space opera stuff, like his mm-hmm. current music project, the whole theme, like this, this, there's sort of storyline, which is basically this, this guy traveling through space on this epic like adventure. So like, he's obviously a big fan of this kind of stuff. And, uh, those guitars, man, sound pretty cool. Right. There wasn't a lot for synth work in that. I recall in Highlander, but the synths in, Flash Gordon, since it was 1980, would have been maybe some Moogs or something. But the synth work sounded cool, man. Mm-hmm. And it's like constant. That's like the atmosphere is this like these various synths and stuff. The music was very well placed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets ridiculous. Right. The last fourth, third to fourth of the movie, anytime we cut away from Flash for more than two minutes and we cut back, Flash! Every time. Every time. And it was always like the instrument of that song. Dun, 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 And there he comes, he's like, fush! Dun, 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 and, and then, you, but you're always waiting to, for a long time, we're like, what's the line? Is it, he's the, the savior of the universe. Savior of the universe, or he will save us all. He will save us all, and yeah. Sometimes they do it, sometimes they wouldn't, to where like, when they wouldn't, we're just like, uh, and he's, waiting for it. And he's flying on the slowest rocket jet ski. 
just like drifting. Yeah. Now the Highlander mythos, like I know there's more to it, but beyond the concept, it's like, okay, we get it. But Mongo and Flash Gordon, like there's a lot of will- world building you could do there. Right. I think that's all I got. Uh, you, that's far more than I expected. Right. <laughs> this, this, this episode will go through some heavy edits and revisions. I feel like we, they didn't give us a lot of material to work with. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Like, now, listener, hopefully, oh, yeah, this episode will cut, get cut way down. Was it two hours? Not quite, but it's an hour and 46 minutes on the recorder. Mm-hmm. This episode's going to get cut way down. So just know, listener, that during the recording, like, we kind of, I, especially me, kind of went on a bit during the reviews. And I kind of, I feel like I repeated myself because I was struggling to find things to say about it. Because both of these movies, it's not like there's a lot of, like, heavy themes or interesting character twists or even plot twists to discuss. Mm-hmm. They're, they're action. They're visceral, interesting sci-fi action movies. And they both work in that respect, but it's, it's hard to really comment on beyond that. Right. That said though, like I'm actually like the, the night Rider Baywatch universe last episode. Like I liked your pitch. I liked the idea. It was fun. It's not really something I It's like, nah, yeah, I, I'm it's okay. This one. I want this. Right. I want this. <laughs> well, this one just kind of fit into each other. Mm-hmm. So. And I I kind of figured this one would be more difficult, actually. And at first it was. But once I was like, wait, they seem like they actually are from Mongo. Mm-hmm. I think other, I think sequels to Highlander get into space stuff. I don't know. There's probably people space. screaming at me right now, listening like, how could you not know anything if you're going to do Highlander? But it's it's the first Highlander movie. That's the only, there only can be one. There's right. only one. Right. If anything, a comic book series crossover? Come on. Right. Who owns these? Let's find them. Add them on Twitter. Okay, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not necessarily... I don't know if he's just supposed to, like... They took from Asian styles and influences? Mm-hmm. Or if he's supposed to be, like, an Asian. I guess his name is Ming. And it's a yellow face kind of situation. Mm-hmm. How do we handle that now? Like... That's not super cool. <laughs> Maybe Ming goes through a little bit of a renaissance. He updates his style a little bit. <laughs> updates it just a little bit. All right. Jasper, where can they find you online? At Ninja Monkey Live on Twitter. Okay. Ninja Monkey on Instagram. How do you spell Ninja Monkey? N-I-N-J-A-M-U-N-K-3-Y. There's a three in there. Three. Okay. Three. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. At Randall Sylvie, that's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-U-Y. Also, of course, at Grolix Podcast on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at the facebook.com slash Grolix Podcast. Thank you for listening. This is, we'll see you in Mongo. Mongo with the flesh. Ah. There can only be one of us. <laughs> yes. Yes. There can only be one of us. Oh, my God.
you seriously deter yourself flicking your head back? Yeah, because my foot was on the cord. Oh, okay, I was going to say, like, you barely moved, though. <laughs> Ready to get the podcast done. If you can't turn your head 10 degrees, you probably do okay. need to go to the kite. I'm actually tingling. Are you strangling yourself or with the headphone? Cord? How did you do that? I don't know. It got caught Just don't on. move. You are a disaster. <laughs> a walking disaster. I'm the disaster artist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 